Well, we turn to Isaiah chapter 61 as we consider the words of um, the Catechism directing our, our thoughts this afternoon on the Trinity. I'm working through the Catechism and I'm at Lord's Day 8 and this is a harder Lord's Day I always find to preach from. How do you encapsulate the Trinity in one sermon? Um, people will say that there's no, there's no proof of the Trinity in any one verse. I think it's all over the Bible. But uh, you do have to search and dig and, and to bring out the fullness of the infinite God that we love and worship in, in 30 minutes is, is very difficult. Um, so, again, I lean on prayer and on your prayer uh, to help me to bring God's word. So Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, and then I'll read from the New Testament where this is fulfilled in Luke chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then we turn to Luke chapter 4, and we see in Jesus' inaugural uh, ministry how he uses this passage. He leans on the, the work of the Father and the Spirit as he begins his ministry. So Luke 4, verse 18, or I'll read verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. 
And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who, who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might, or could, throw him down from the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And so far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Lord's Day 8 is before us on page... Um, 875, Lord's Day 8, and it speaks about the Apostles' Creed and how these articles are divided into three sections. How are these articles divided? Into three parts, God the Father in our creation, God the Son in our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And then question and answer 25, since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And the answer, because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one, true, eternal God. Well, dear brothers and sisters, loved of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I brought up food, and food is something that we all love and like to think about. Um, the pantry and, and the baking and the cooking that comes from that pantry. But there's other things that excite us, right? And one of the things that we, we likely all love is, is a good book, right? I have a, a book here that just reading the first chapter alone, actually the introduction to the book, um, makes the whole book worth the money. And uh, if uh, I won't tell you what, no, I should. It's Mark Jones. Mark Jones is really great. I've been really blessed by his ministry, and The Prayers of Jesus is the book. Really helpful, because what he brings out at the beginning is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Messiah. And it's something that we could think about for a long time, and we will for a couple minutes this evening. But one of the things about a book, a good book, not necessarily a book on theology as much as a, a you know a story a, a fictional story book is that they the best <coughs> books the best literature tends to follow a certain narrative it tends to go a certain direction right and often you you think of your favorite book you think of your favorite stories that movies are made of you think of you know lord of the rings you think of Cinderella, what, what is a theme that you see in these things and these stories? But you see this, this character who is a lowly character become an exalted character, right? There's a, a path of, of suffering and there's a, a low affliction um, that turns into a high exaltation, rags to riches. And uh, this is... All throughout history, all throughout literature, you see this, this rags-to-riches idea uh, in, in, uh, in the great stories that you read and, and love. And this is, in a sense, what the Bible is about, is it not? 
The Bible is the best rags to riches story that we have. It's, it's the, the story of the king who comes down in, in, in disguise, in the form of a servant, in the likeness of man, and he, he suffers among his, his people, his, his, his fellow men, and he suffers to the point of death, the cruel death of the cross, He's cursed by men. He's afflicted by God, the Father, even for his, for his wrath against sin. And then he rises. And, 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 and now, ever since his resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, we have the continuing exaltation of Christ in the, in the preaching, in the, in the worship. This is what we celebrate. The exaltation of a humbled man. The exaltation of the glorious King. And, uh, and this is the best thing to focus on in the midst of the strife and the turmoil of this world and the confusion of our own hearts and minds. What helps us? What brings clarity and focus and, and, and meaning to this world? But it's that we have a king who's come among us. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And he is now gone. He has ascended into heaven. He sits at the Father's right hand. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We confess this every week. We confess these ideas in our, in our prayers. Right as we pray, we pray to the Father through, um, uh, through, the, through, the, through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Typically we use that formula. Uh, the Son is exalted in heaven and, and he brings, he, he, he conveys, it's through him that we have access to the Father. Without him we would not be able to pray. And uh, the fascinating thing that, that Mark Jones brings out in this book is that it's, it's Christ himself who shows us the power of prayer. Right? The Lord Jesus himself, as he lives, as he ministers in his life among us, doesn't lean on his divinity to do the divine works, to do the miracles that he performs, to preach with power. He doesn't do it in his divine nature as, as if it's a button that he presses and then now he's leaning on his divinity. What he does, and you see this, and the proof is in his prayers, you see that the Lord Jesus is constantly leaning on the strength of another, and that is the Holy Spirit. And as he leans upon the strength of the Holy Spirit, he fulfills his ministry perfectly. Uh, and he also fulfills his character. His character is, 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 he leans upon the Spirit all the way through his life and ministry. And this is something for us to, to take note of for us in our ministry and our lives as well. Our Father, if you think of it, in heaven, what he has done is he has he sent his Son into the midst of a hostile world. He sent his Son into the midst of great affliction. And he sent him with a fragile human nature, right? No form or comeliness that we should desire him. He sent him with, with no army of angels to, to protect him around him, surrounding him. You see, in the temptation, he, he could have called on the angels, but he didn't, right? He has this, this weakness that he comes in. And if you think of it as a, as a father thinking about your son, would you ever do this? Would you ever send your son to a hostile foreign country in a fragile human frame and, and, and have him have this mandate, this mission to save the world in, in, the, 
in this fragile human nature? Would you do this? If you were the almighty God and you were planning for the redemption of, a, of, the, of the world, this, this plan is so otherworldly. It's so heavenly, right? What God has done and, and, and the, the, the great strength that I hope you come from the sermon with or out uh, with is that you will see that it's Christ leaning on the Spirit of God, on the Holy Spirit to do the work, to do the ministry. And as such, we are strengthened in our lives and ministry as well. It was the Son's pleasure to fulfill His Father's will, right? It was His pleasure to do His Father's will, and He did it flawlessly. It was His desire to please the Father. And it was the Father's desire to see His Son succeed, right? It was His Father's desire to see His Son clothed with the garments of salvation that He would give to all uh, His followers, it was the father's son to give his his or the father's desire to give his son this uh, this joy of of this great marriage in the end with his church. It was the father's desire to see his son succeed. It was the son's desire to succeed and to please his father. But it is the spirit's power that enabled all this to happen. And without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we would not have a savior. In the way that he came. We would not know the Savior. It is the Spirit who inspired the Word. It is the Spirit who now illuminates the Word. It is the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and apply uh, the Word of God this afternoon. And so let's consider then the three, um, three points here that we have. The Father's purpose in ordaining his Son. And then we'll see the Son... And his prominence in his ministry and how he ministered. And then the third point is the Spirit's presence and anointing power. So first, the ordination. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is very important. It was Yahweh and his sovereign plan that he anointed his prophets. He anointed his priests. Right, The, the priests were anointed. The kings were anointed to their office. And this is, not, this is not to be overlooked. The, the power of the ordination is, is throughout the Old Testament. You see, it's very important, this, this ordination process. And Yahweh the, is, is ordaining something here. Through all these Old Testament illustrations, he's showing that a man is set aside. He's set apart for a special task, for a special service. And it's not just that he has profoundly special words put upon him, but the Spirit of God is put upon him uh, in, a, in, a, in a powerful way. And so the Father ordains his Son to ministry. It is the Father's will for his Son to go into this world with his love and his gospel. And you see this all throughout the Psalms, right? Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And this is where you, you read it right at the beginning. The Lord said to my Lord, right? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God's plan was for his son to sit at his right hand. And it was for his son to succeed. For his people to be made willing in the day of his power. This is the father's plan for his purpose. For his son to succeed. The Father loves the Son, and the Father would see him flourish, and he would see all of his children uh, flourish today as well. 
the work of God in the Son, uh, God the Father in the Son, is, is, you see his purpose is to lift him, right? To, 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 point, to point the people towards him. The, the Father is, is, is shining the light upon the Son. And the Son has great prominence, as we'll see in our second point. Uh, but the, 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 the Father is the one who's created this plan. He's created, he's, he's created this world and this universe, right? It, it's his will, it's his, it's his plan to, that he has enacted throughout history. It's, you see the Father um, electing, the Father predestining his people, his son, his children to adoption as sons. Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 4 to 10, you see the, how, how the Father is at work in, in, this, in this world making a plan. And the plan is not only for his, his people, it is firstly for his son, for his son to come to prominence. And God ordained for him to flourish in a weakened frame. He could have sent him in strength, he could have sent him with an army of angels, but he sent him in weakness. He sent him in frailty. And this was the Father's will. And you see how Jesus submitted to his Father's will. He said, it is not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is submitting to his Father's plan. This is hard for, for children to do, right? To believe that your Father knows best, that he's wiser than you are. Uh, but we have to submit to this wisdom of God that is hard to understand, as we heard this morning. God's, the Father's plan is good. And we know that based upon his purpose for his son. The, the way that you grow to trust the father's plan is to see his love for his own dear son saw him through his suffering. He saw him through the, 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 the cross, right? He, he, he did pour out his fury upon him when he suffered upon the cross, but that was not the end of the story. The end of the story is victory and vindication and life. The pathway there involves great suffering and pain. But the Father's will was for his Son to prosper. And so Jesus could even for the joy that was set before him endure the cross, despising the shame, as he knew he would sit down at the Father's right hand. Now, fathers, this is something for us to think about in terms of our, our practical application. What does this look like for us living in this dark world? How do you best protect your children? As a father of eight little children, five little daughters, nervous, right? How do I protect these daughters from evil men, from these terrifying teenagers when they start to knock on my door? How do I protect them, right? How do I protect my sons from pornography? How do I protect them from this disease that will devour them and destroy their purity? This is a terrifying thing to raise children in such a society with weird things going on sexually, perverted things everywhere. How do you do this? Right? Isn't it better not to have children? But you see here how the father has a plan for his son to prosper in the midst of great hostility, in the midst of a task, a mission that involves his death, the father would see his son prosper. How? We'll get there, but it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, but just so we know, the best thing for us to do as fathers, as mothers, is to pray. Pray for your children. Pray for their life with Christ to be knit with him. 
at the earliest of ages. Pray for them to know their covenant father and never to deny him all the days of their life. And pray that they would come to see the father's heart is, is wise. The father's heart is good. Right? The goodness of God is what Satan wants us to doubt. Did God really say? Does God really have in store for you goodness and mercies? Will he really follow you all the days of your life? Are you sure about that? He's always questioning the goodness of God. And when we do that with each other, we are following the devil's line and his mantra. And so we need to teach our children that God can be trusted. God is good always and always will be. Well, secondly, we see here how the son comes to prominence in his ministry. The Lord Jesus was given this central role. This, this, the stage is set, and Christ is at the center of the stage. The lights are shining upon him, and he is the one that all the lines of history are pointing towards. Every prophet, priest, and king, every faithful leader looks to him. Every unfaithful leader, every unfaithful king is the opposite of him, right? He is the glorious center of the stage of history. In fact, his coming marks the central moment of world history, right? We mark our calendar by his coming and by his life and ministry. This is the pivotal moment in the world's history that has come to pass in the fullness of time. Galatians 4. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Everything was building to that moment. Every affliction of God's people is building towards this day of redemption, this day of salvation, this year of jubilee, when Christ came to save his people. What a ministry. What a task. What a joy. Can you imagine being the, having this ministry of the Lord Jesus as your ministry? You are going with wisdom to a world that is foolish. You are going with life to a world that is dead. You are going with power to a world that is weak. You are going with grace to a world that is guilty and graceless. Can you imagine the joy of Jesus having this task Having this ministry, what a task. And yet, how did he come? How did he minister? He, he ministered in weakness. He ministered with the garb of a servant. He ministered in a way that did, did not look very powerful. His church was not very big. Right? He had a few ragtag followers at the end of his ministry. And even they all left him. One of them just scampered off naked into the night. This, this is the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He comes in power to save his people. No, he comes in weakness. He comes in rejection. He comes in ridicule. Save yourself if you can. This is the word spoken about him as he hangs upon the cross. This is amazing. How can this, this is astounding. How could this possibly be? That the center, the pivotal moment, the man of history, the king of kings and the lord of lords would be so rejected, so refused, so rebelled against. How could this possibly be? Well, it shows you, doesn't it, the, the power of the lie. The power 
of the lie was not first found in COVID. Right? The power of the lie was not first found when, when a prime minister came to power. The power of the lie is most pronounced in the coming of Christ. In, in the coming of our Savior who comes to redeem us. He's rejected. How is that possible? But you see how the liar, the father of lies, John 8, is it 44? He has power to penetrate the minds of men and even the minds of the eldership in the church. Right? He has power to do these horrible things within the church to make men perverted, to make fathers sexually molest their children. How can this possibly be? Right? How could a man like that possibly be a deacon in a church? But this happens. This is awful. This is horrific. But this happens. Even within the... How can this be? Right? This doesn't make any sense. But you see here how the devil is at work trying to undermine the purposes of the father and his plan. He hates the father. He hates the son. And he would destroy what God has made good. And how hard he works at doing this in our world today, too. But the most pronounced way that he worked is not today, but it's in the life and ministry of Jesus, in bringing him to the cross, right? Was it Jesus that went to the cross? Yes. Was it the devil that was laughing as Christ went to the cross? Yes. Right? The devil thought he, he had him. I got him. He's dead. He didn't realize, though, that sin is a boomerang. Isn't this true? Sin is such a boomerang. Sin, you, you, you sin, and it comes back, and it harms you. It destroys you first, and then it destroys all kinds of other people. But you become this, this weapon to yourself as you sin. This is what the devil didn't realize. By crucifying the Son of God, by putting him to open shame, what happened? He should have known. Genesis 3.15 He would be crushed as Christ was bruised. Hallelujah. Well, this rags to riches story of the king of glory, right? Coming to earth as a man, as a humble man is, is unparalleled. There's no story quite as good as this one. And children, I encourage you, read the Bible every day, right? Read the Bible morning, noon, and night. Read it as, as you're with your family. Read it, memorize it, meditate upon it day and night. The, God's Word is living and powerful. And God's Word has, has the capacity to change your mind, to change your thinking, and to change your attitude, your life, but... To, ultimately to change your trajectory this world as we heard this morning they're all about themselves they're thinking about themselves and their own power their own purpose their own will god by his word reshapes the mind and now we're focused on him and his will and his word and um, you see this as we come to our third point in the life and ministry of the holy spirit the holy spirit is has been described as the spotlight Right? You know what a spotlight is, children? Right? It's, a, it's like this really powerful beam of light that just points at, at something. Right? This is what the work of the Holy Spirit is. He points the spotlight at the sun. 
So if you think of the stage, you have these spotlights shining. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's shining the light upon the sun. He's not about himself. Right? When churches become all about the Holy Spirit and they're, uh, they're talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how you need to be living like this and living this life of power and this life of blessing, come and see the works of the Holy Spirit here that are happening, you know, you're missing the point. The Holy Spirit is, is given to the church that we might see Christ, that we might have the spotlight shining upon the Savior. He's not shining the spotlight upon Himself and His powerful gifts. No. He shines the spotlight upon the Son of God. And He, he, he he's, or he's the, the, the source by which the, the Son of God does His life and ministry. Right? Christ came in weakness, but He also came with the power of another undergirding, supporting, strengthening him. And all the work that he did, all the miracles he performed, were performed in the strength and the supply of the Spirit. And this is why Christ prayed. Have you ever thought about that? Why would Christ spend so much time in prayer? Why would he spend the whole night in prayer? That doesn't make any sense. If he's leaning on his divine nature to do these works of ministry, why would he need to pray about that? But he prayed all night long sometimes. Often, from what we hear, and his disciples, as they talked about him, where is he? He must be in prayer. He leaned upon the power and the strength of God himself to do his life and ministry. This, is, this, is, this will change your world. This will change your thinking about the church, about your life, about this world. We follow Christ. And as followers of Christ, we do not live in our own strength. We do not live in our own power. But often we do, right? When you're prayerless, when you're not living in, in, in close, passionate, fervent prayer with God, you're showing that you are living in your own strength. You do have the resources in yourself. When you're living in the, in the strength of God, you're, you're living in prayer. Your life is, is built upon this, this pattern of prayer. And your children know, my father's, oh yeah, he's praying again. That's where he always is. He's always praying. Why does he pray? Well, he's a weak man. My dad's a very weak man, right? He needs to pray because he can't do it himself. Your children come to understand this about you. They come to know my father's strength is not in his muscles, even though they are Pretty. No, they're not, right? My muscles are not that strong. I cannot defeat this liar, this ancient serpent. I cannot even touch him. He's way beyond me. I have no strength. But God, by his spirit, has strength to destroy. Second, is it 1 Corinthians 10, right? Or 2 Corinthians 10? He, he destroys these kingdoms, these thoughts, these these powerful things in the heavenly places that are working against the church. They are destroyed by God and His power. And so, spending hours with God in secret and prayer is the, is the way by which we will conquer and destroy the, the powers of this world. And there's no other way. And if your Savior lived in that kind of power, if He lived in that kind of strength, how dare you think you don't need to live with that kind of way, with that kind of life? doesn't make any sense, right? A servant is not greater than his master. And so, 
What did Jesus do? This is where it gets a little bit practical again. What did Jesus do in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? He, he preached, right? That's how the, it's the only way he can do preaching is by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he taught. It's the only way you can teach by the presence of the Holy Spirit as he opens the mind and illuminates the word. He healed. It's the only way that healing can happen. And the early church had marvelous acts of healing. We think that it's because the word was not yet fully closed, right? The canon was not yet fully closed. And so the, the, the evidence that these men were from God was that they had gifts of healing from the Holy Spirit. And, and indeed they did. Peter, Paul, they could heal people by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what it was. Uh, for them to, to follow Christ. They had power to bring words of comfort to the flock, right? To, to shepherd the flock. You can't do this on your own. There's no way you can take care of the flock, elders, deacons, right? You can't do this. The only way is by the work of the Holy Spirit, guarding the flock, helping you to have wisdom and caring for the flock. You see this? And that Christ sets the prisoner free, right? He unchains those who are bound. Have you seen people who are bound to their passions, bound to their addictions, bound to their lust, be released? Right? One of the elders was saying before the worship service, right? I have power not to sin. I have power now not to sin. This is the work of God by His Spirit in us today. Hallelujah. And so I ask you, dear people, are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit? It doesn't look the way some churches will teach it. It's, it basically means, is the word of God open in your heart, in your life, in your, around your table? Are you reading the word of God to each other? Are you thinking and talking about the word of God with each other? You know, this is a very exciting day to talk about conspiracy theories. You want to hear the latest? No, you don't. I want to hear about something that matters, right? God's word matters far more than anything else in this world. Talk about it. Grow in it. Teach one another. The best way to teach one another is how? How does Paul say this to the Colossians and, and, um, and to the Ephesians? He says, teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing, right? With grace in your heart to God. It's really hard to sing thanksgiving to God with a mad face, right? But I can talk about conspiracy theories with a very angry face. But I can't sing praise to God with a mad face. It doesn't work. I guess I could, but it wouldn't be right at all. And it, I, if I'm thinking about the words at all, I wouldn't do it. The point is, as you read God's word, as you sing God's word, as you pray God's word, and you see Jesus doing this as well in his life and ministry, praying the words of the Father back to the Father, right? This is where life and ministry really meets the road. And so the, the work of the Holy Spirit is evidenced in your life as the word of God is opened and sang and prayed and treasured. And so I ask you, how is your life in the Spirit today? How is your desire to be growing in the ministry of the Spirit today? To be filled to the full with all the fullness of God today? You know, the same resurrection power 
Uh, work in Christ. What do the elders said before the service again? You have good elders here. Uh, the same power at work in Christ that raised him from the dead is at work in you. Is it? Is that true? The same resurrection power that vindicated the Son of God and raised him up is at work in you. This is what we believe. This is what we teach. That as a, as a follower of Christ, the same spirit that was anointing him has anointed us. We are anointed. We are ordained by the Father, anointed by the Spirit, to go out with the gospel of the Son into all the world and to declare to these liars, deceivers, and to the deceived, we have the truth. I know the truth. And the truth sets me free, and it will set you free too. That's